Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike. Yo, Rob, I only have one question, man. Is Brooklyn in the house? No doubt. No doubt. So uh, here we are. This is episode one of the uh, Sweep the Rack Bowling Podcast. We want to welcome everybody. You're here with uh, Brooklyn Rob, and I'm Big Mike. And uh, we're here to talk some bowling with you. Uh, Rob, we thought that for our first episode, a good place for us to start would just be to give the listeners a little bit of our background, uh, talk a little bit about why we, we, you and I decided to do this podcast together. Uh, so I'll let you start, you know, let's, let's hear about your, your thoughts on, uh, why we're doing this podcast. What brought us to this point? Mike, we're doing this podcast because we needed an outlet to voice our opinions about the bowling industry, the bowling world. I was born and raised, uh, in uh, Brooklyn, New York, born as a bowler, born and grew up in a bowling alley, bowling action, bowling pot games, bowling all across the East Coast, sometimes even out to the West Coast. But, uh, you know, I uh, bowled some college, uh, a lot of college bowling, a little bit of pros, a lot of amateur, just, you know, a lot of bowling. So I grew up as a bowler, Mike, and uh, I'm ready to get this podcast started. And I want to, you know, make my opinion heard. And I want to hear what people out there have to say about uh, the bowling industry and I know, I know there's a lot going on and I, I definitely am I'm excited about this podcast, Mike. Yeah. And, and where, where are you in your bowling career now, Rob, for, for people listening who, who know us, right. Who are familiar with us. Uh, where, where does your bowling career stand right now? I like to consider myself a professional amateur. Uh, I, I bowl, um, you know, the main tournaments, the true amateur tournaments twice a year, uh, bowl locally around, uh, the area that I, I live in and, practice a lot and you know unfortunately I would love to bowl more but real life I have a real job I travel a lot so I try to bowl whenever I can but uh yeah I'm still practicing still you know active in the bowling world and I look forward to you know bowling more as uh the you know the year goes on and I get to travel less and stay home a little bit more yeah and and uh I'm sure everybody listening that knows you Rob and knows us will uh will be happy to hear not surprised to hear that you know you're still active in the game and uh you still you still participate in the game at a high level. So as for me, uh I want to do this podcast because I, I I'm a fan of bowling. Uh I'm also a bowler myself. Uh I know a lot of people that that compete in this game at at the highest levels. Uh I, but most of all, I'm a fan and I listen and watch everything related to bowling, and I, I definitely invest a lot of time in the in the sport and studying the sport. And to be honest, I just thought that. And and again, that, no offense to anyone uh, that's doing their thing out there. I enjoy all the bowling podcasts that are out there. I listen to all of them, but I just thought that we needed something different, and I thought that we might be able to bring something different to the table. 
Uh, and that's what kind of got the ball rolling on this idea of us doing the uh, Sweep the Rack Bowling podcast. In terms of my bowling background, uh, like Rob, I grew up bowling, not in Brooklyn, but in Philadelphia. Uh, and bowling has just been a part of my life since I was a young kid. Um, a lot of the friends that I have still to this day are, are people that I met through the sport of bowling and met through the game of bowling. Uh, some of the best experiences that I've had in life have, have come through the game of bowling. Uh, grew up as a junior bowler, uh, met, got lucky enough to bowl in a, in a center that had some really high-quality uh, coaching and really high-quality bowlers in it that could help us and help the younger bowlers around grow and get better. And uh, bowled in college, like you, Rob, we competed against each other in college. Bowled JBTs for a long time, where, where obviously uh, we know each other from. And, yeah, my, my bowling career ended, I would say, shortly after college. Uh, it was just a, a financial decision. It was an issue of either getting a job or pursuing the, the, the bowling avenue. And uh, I had gotten my degree. And my parents were definitely on the route for me to get a job. And that's kind of the route I went. I took a, a little bit of time off from the game a few years ago. Uh, right after that time, I think I was kind of uh, unimpressed by your, your average league bowling. And I, it got very old very quickly to me. So I took some time off and I invested a lot of time into coaching. I started a high school program in New Jersey and coached for 12 years at a very high level. And now uh, I gave up coaching the high school program a couple of years ago. I still do coach around the area that I live in but I gave up the high school program a few years ago. And now I, I'm really just an average once a week league bowler. I do bowl in a sport league uh, because I really don't enjoy bowling on your, your easier conditions. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I pretty much just bowl once a week. I practice because I like to stay at somewhat of a decent level and I'll participate in some local tournaments here and there that I have the time to do and that I don't have to travel too far for. Uh, so Guys, we hope that gives you a little bit of a background on who we are. And, I, and, and as the show goes on, Rob, I think people will have an opportunity to hear some of the stories we have and some of the experiences we've had. We don't want to try and give everybody everything on episode one, but uh, we assure you that we have some good ones. I mean, our stories are, are, are legendary, Mike. I mean, I remember we used to sit down back uh, when we used to see each other maybe once a year and... Uh, we used to just sit in the basement and just tell stories after stories. And I mean, we used to laugh because of the stories and the characters we, we knew and the, 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 the craziness that went around the bowling world that so many people don't know about. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the characters, the, the, the characters, Rob, talk, talk, talk more about that. That's important. I mean, you grow up bowling action in Brooklyn, you're going to run into characters and anybody who bowled and grew up in the East coast, uh, you know, in the Brooklyn, New Jersey, Connecticut, anywhere down the East Coast, especially in Brooklyn, knows about characters. I mean, characters. The list, you of, the list of characters is endless. The list of characters endless. is endless, right? I mean, I, people that are in the bowling community, people that understand that grew up in the environment that we did in the in, in the East Coast bowling community, almost regardless of what era you come from, uh, you just understand that there's a lot of personalities and a lot of stories to be told. And and yeah, I, I think that both of us felt that we wanted to get a piece of that out there. Yeah. And I mean, I would love to start a reality show where you could put 16 of these characters in, in one house and have them bowl for a lot of money, but follow them around. I mean, that would be incredible to me. 
Yeah, that's quite an idea, Rob. So again, we hope you give that. We hope that gives you guys a little bit of an idea of who we are and uh, why we're doing this and how we arrived at this point. But uh, we have a lot to get through on episode one because it's uh, been a few weeks since the PBA tour has gotten rolling, and that's really one of the reasons that we're here is to review what's going on on the PBA tour and the current action on the tour. So the big news, Rob, obviously, you know, not a surprise. The first thing we're going to talk about is uh, the PBA making their move to Fox. You know, PBA was on ESPN for many years. There were a lot of strong opinions out there amongst the fans about uh, the PBA and their relationship with ESPN and, and, and some of the things that ESPN had done over the years. And I, I'm not going to lie. I was one of them. You know, as a fan, I felt that ESPN never really gave the, uh, the PBA that much of a fair shake. You know, I always thought it was a, a, an afterthought in terms of uh, NFL Sunday preview show ends and bowling's coming on when they know everybody's switching the channel to go watch football. So, as we all know, the PBA made its move to Fox. Rob, what do you think? Uh, you've, we've watched all the shows, obviously. Goods and bads of the, of the show so far this season. What are your thoughts? Well, the goods are the fact that it's – look, any live bowling you're going to get on TV is great bowling. I think Fox has the, uh, you know, the resources to put more advertising, put more money. It's probably cheaper for the PBA to do a show for Fox than it was ESPN, and they probably get better time slots. I mean, there's just a, a lot that went into the deal that I'm a big fan of, and bowling is now – you know, I, I, it's, it's definitely – I feel better on Fox than ESPN. Look, ESPN is a major network, but the time slot they were given pro bowling was awful. Like you said, it was right during football season. And uh, I feel like Fox is going to be a better shake. And uh, the shows have been better, better than uh, ESPN, at least in my opinion. And uh, what do you think, Mike? Uh, what are the positive and ne- uh, negatives of, uh, of the Fox show? Uh, yeah, I have some thoughts. I mean, one one general negative. I talk to a lot of people about bowling in my in my travels. People that I know watch the shows. My family watches the shows because they they know that I follow it. So uh, one of the common things, common frame, refrains that I've heard thus far is too many commercials. Uh, several people have said, oh, you know, since they switched to Fox, there's numerous commercials. It seems like there's so many commercials. Quite frankly, Rob, I. I agree with them. There's more commercials, but I find it to be a good thing. You know, uh, yeah, I think you want commercials. I think you want advertisements. I'm happy to see different types of commercials on there, not just the same old, same old USB-C is the only ad you see during bowling. You know, I've seen some different stuff. I think that part of what Fox is doing for the PBA is they're trying to promote it to different companies as a, as a marketing option. So I've actually been encouraged to see that. How do you feel about that? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's just the people that are complaining about the no uh, too many commercials are the same people complaining that the PBA has no money in it and that there's no sponsors. Well, what are the sponsors looking for? The sponsors are looking for ratings. Why are they looking for ratings? So more people watch the show, so more people could see the advertisements and the commercials. And that's where the money comes from. That's where the revenue is generated from. So I don't yeah. get why people right about too no too many commercials i mean look at the nfl anytime there's a timeout they go to a commercial anytime there's a, a stop and play they go to a commercial because that's where all the money comes from and, and yeah yeah i also equate it to golf a lot you know and and you watch golf and there's a lot of commercials but it's also what commercials you see 
you see commercials for high-end automobiles, high-end jewelry, high-end products. You know, in bowling, I'm like I said, I'm used to just seeing the the same old USBC advertising their leagues or the the, the promotional events that they do. So, in outside of the commercial issue, I think that the shows have been great. I think that uh, the graphics and the technology that they are bringing to the show is really interesting. As a fan, I find it really interesting to be able to see how accurate these guys are with, with their speed and with their location of the ball, the arrows and the break point. You know, to me, that really highlights how hard this, this sport is. And, and when you see a guy miss by only two boards and you see the result is a, is a shot that he can't convert or a six count or a split or whatever it may be, or even a gutter ball, you know, on the show that we had uh, with Rhino Page. But, yeah, I, I do enjoy the technological advancements that they have brought to it. Not, you know, the blue oil was already going on. I understand that. I'm talking more so about the rev rate comparisons and the comparisons of where guys hit on certain shots or what they did right or what they did wrong. So I've really enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, how about you, Rob? Um, you know, I'm actually going to throw a question back at you. Uh, what do you think – should the PBA be catering to – the bowler or they should be catering to the casual fan. Uh, do you think that some of that technical like talk goes over like a lot of the casual fans that are watching their heads? Because a lot of the, well, yeah, that, that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. But I, the way that it's presented to me, now, it's hard for me to say because I'm not your average casual fan, right? I don't, I don't fit that mold, but to me, watching it with people who are non bowlers or even casual fans of bowling, I have to say, it, I think it's pretty easily interpreted by people. I think that, that Randy does a pretty good job of, of highlighting what they should look at or, or pointing out a certain statistic to show them what the difference is between the two players or, or how they're playing the lanes. So uh, as long as they keep it simple for the, for the casual fans, I think that it benefits both sides. I think when you, you're right, though, when you go too technical – Right, then, then you're going to lose some of those people who are just the casual fans of bowling. But, and that's a fine line. But so far, I think that they've done a pretty good job of that. Okay. One of the, one of the um, you know, I guess, negatives I have, and at least I want to see more of, is I want to see them showcase the personalities more of the bowler. I really feel like the PBA doesn't do that. And I feel like there's such a you know, like I like I, I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, there's so many characters, not only where I grew up in bowl, but on the professional bowlers tour. Uh, you know, Richie Allen is a character. Uh, you know, uh, Rhino Page is a character. I mean, let's talk about Kyle Troop, right? Like, Yeah, let's talk is- about Kyle Troop. Let's do that. I mean, it's interesting that you're bringing this up and we're recording this podcast today. Like the last couple days, it seems like, you know, he's having a moment here. Yeah, he's 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 really uh, shining and getting his 15 minutes of fame, and it's interesting. The guy didn't even win the tournament. He didn't even win the tournament. He just went out and performed and did his thing and entertained the crowd. And I think that speaks volumes, Rob. I do. I think that uh, you know the the PBA and its players need to take a clear message from the the personality that somebody like Kyle Troop is showing on the on the show. I really think Pete Weber paved the way and I really think that they need to kind of understand what Pete did so well was he was a character Pete and he was himself and he, he didn't, you know, care if he offended some people or didn't like him in a, in a, in an age where he bowled 
where everybody was, you know, very proper. And, you know, when Pete came along, Pete kind of paved the way for, to be yourself, to go out and be outgoing to, you know, uh, I don't know, do a, a you know, a wrestling maneuver. Cause I know Pete's a big WWE fan. So he kind of did a little bit of that and everyone loved it. And I think Kyle is kind of in the new generation where he's got a loud clothes and his haircut is, is probably making a lot of, a lot of like waves out there. So I really think that the PBA needs more of Kyle troop. They need more of his energy. They need more of his, you know, his, his personality and he's not afraid to be himself. So I think that's what the PBA needs to do more of. Yeah. Personally, I feel like the guy needs to be on TV every week. I mean, I think it would be, I, they really do. I think it would be great for the PBA if somebody like that was on TV every week, but you're right, Rob, a lot of the guys out there have that personality side, but you know, because of the nature of our sport and, and the fact that there's a mental side to it that people often don't take into consideration, you know, you're often not going to see these guys have that side come out very often and be able to perform, but uh, we'll see where it goes. You know, it seems like so far we're off to a good start with, with the PBA on Fox and uh, you know, it remains to me see you go. But, Rob, it, it, bottom line here, you know, a bottom line question we can ask here is, is, is the switch to Fox really going to be the difference maker for the PBA? You know, is it, is it a change in how they present the product really to be what makes the difference? Well, bowling is still bowling ultimately. So if you're looking to get on a level of a baseball or a football or a basketball, I mean, I don't think it'll get there. I think the PBA has a long road ahead of them. Uh, I think that a Kyle Troop getting waves on, uh, on like a bar stool sports and, and social media is a good start. You know, people maybe want to tune in if he makes again the next week and see if he's going to, you know, pick his fro. But I think ultimately it's going to take the personalities. It's going to take more of having more personalities, more rivalries, you know, like, uh, you know, and I'm sure one podcast and not now, but we'll get into, the Belmo rash rivalry when the PBA squashed that. And I have so many like thoughts and opinions about that, but the PBA needs more of that. They need the rivalries. They, you know, they, they, they need the in your face type of bowling matches, you know, and, and, and that's, I think will help the PBA when it comes down to ratings and people wanting to like tune in and watch. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you on that side. I just think that, and, and again, I think this is a discussion for a different time, but I think that uh, it's just tough to manufacture that, right? If, if you have that, it has to be real. And, and, and it's very easy to tell when a rivalry or a dislike between players is real and when it's manufactured. And, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that I do think it would help the show, but I do think it's tough for the PBA to create that environment unless they are going to – set up the field in a way that we'll see the same players meeting the same players regularly on TV. And, you know, that, again, that's going to be really hard to do, but uh, I don't know. I hope that the move to Fox benefits the PBA. Obviously I I, want to see nothing but good for bowling in the PBA, but I'm not sure that it's going to be the difference maker. I think that, you know, there's going to have to be other factors in play to get the PBA to a new level of success or a new level of exposure. But I do think this could be, a start. I really do. I also think that uh flow bowling could have a lot to do with that. What, what are your, you have, are you, you subscribe to flow? I would assume. Right, Rob. Right. 
What, what are your Flo, thoughts? Yeah, Flow Bowling is great. Uh, anytime you can get a uh, company that is going out and doing interviews with players. And like I said before, getting to know the players. Well, guess what? You have a new outlet now, Flow Bowling, that are interviewing players that have the time and the resources to like get to the bottom of the players, find out their backstories, like what balls they like to drill. I just saw a flow bowling today, actually on, on social media where they interviewed Bill and they were, Bill was talking about the, you know, the new web tour edition for hammer that just came out and why he likes it and how he drills it and what he patterns he uses it for. I mean, yeah, that, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, preacher of flow bowling. I tell everybody about flow bowling. I, I think that, that could really be a game changer for the PBA or, and even in sports in general, just in how sports are presented and, and, and through what mediums they're presented. I love flow bowling. I think that they are doing a remarkable job thus far. I agree with you, Rob, but uh, yeah, I think that it's a really great and easy way for, uh, for the PBA to promote the players through flow bowling. You know, like you said, and, and from the other side of the fans, that's what I want to hear. That's why I subscribe to Flow Bowling. That, I, that's why I pay a subscription fee. No, no disrespect to the guys that are on there doing the broadcasting day by day. You know, usually it's Phil Brylow. Uh, they do a great job. However, you know, if I'm paying a subscription fee, what I really want to hear is I really want to hear the players. I really want to hear their perspectives, and I want to hear things from, from their perspective in, about the tournament, the equipment that they used, what they thought for that day. And they do do that from time to time, but I think they could use it to, to more of their advantage, not only with interviewing the players while the tournament's going on, but also, like you said, using that medium to kind of uh, promote the players and their personalities, tell some stories. Uh, one of the segments that I've watched that Flo does is the one where the, the, the one young lady goes bowling with somebody. Like I watched the one with Marshall Kent. Did you see that? Uh, no, I didn't actually, but no. Okay. I, so uh, they, they just put up one with Belmo today that I didn't get a chance to watch, but uh, yeah, it's just like a little skit where she goes bowling with them and talks to them a little bit, gets to know them, ask where they're from, what they're into. And yeah, I, the first one, I'll be honest. I thought it came off as a little bit awkward, but I thought, wow, this is the start of something that could really be a game changer in terms of them introducing these guys and who they really are to the fans out there and to the people that are out there watching flow bowling. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes as well. But I think we're both on the same page, Rob, that uh, a switch to Fox alone is not going to be the main difference maker for the PBA. Uh, one thing that we, we both wanted to throw some criticism out there about, I know, cause we had texted about it uh, leading up to this first episode is some of the promotional materials that the PBA has put out. And uh, you and I had a little text thread going, Rob, where we were sending some of these promotional posters, uh, screenshots of them back and forth and kind of commenting. I don't know if our listeners follow exactly, so we'll explain a little bit. Uh, we're referring to the promotional posters that the PBA put out on social media leading up to some of the shows that had some of the players in, uh, let's say, some, some tough guy poses. And you, you and I, Rob, were both commenting on, you know, how, how awkward some of these posters were and, and just how, you know, asking these guys to play the tough guy role kind of came off in a corny way. Uh, you want to you chime in on that or what? I just feel like the guys they're trying to make tough guys aren't really tough guys. So you get, these, you know, someone like a Rhino Page making a tough guy face and 
folding his arms or it's just, you know, I mean, you're knocking pins down, like you're not fighting in the, in the cage. So I feel like the PBA is trying to make it seem like, oh, our bowlers are, are tough guys, but then they're going on the show and, you know, they're not punching each other. I don't know. I just feel like the tough guy personality is not the, the personality of the bowlers. That's not who they are. You might have one or one or two or three bowlers out there that are, are legit tough guys, but I, I feel like 99% of the professionals, they're not tough guys. You know what I mean? I mean, it works no. in the UFC, right? Or, or, or boxing or even the NFL, you could make some tough guys, but imagine if you put Tom Brady, right? And he's going to be playing the Super Bowl. But Tom Brady's not a tough guy. Everybody knows he's not a tough guy. But if you put him on a poster with a tough guy pose, people aren't going to take him seriously. I mean, I mean, am I wrong here, Mike? Uh, no, I don't. I don't totally disagree. But I do agree that, uh, yeah, the PBA should just avoid the tough guy stuff. I don't. I don't think that bowling is associated with a tough guy image in, in really any way, shape, or form. There aren't too many bowlers that come to my mind. I mean, there's a few, but there's not too many bowlers that come to my mind in terms of somebody that I was always, you know, thought of as a tough guy or, you know, that people would have looked at and been intimidated by or scared of. But uh, I found it funny. You know, I, I, I got a good laugh out of it. The one that really stuck with me was, uh, was Rhino Page, you know, it, it, with, a, with a like, oh, I'm going to give you a knuckle sandwich pose. I, yeah, I just didn't think it came off very well. But I actually noticed that this week they didn't seem to use any of those type of poses in their promotional material. So hopefully they have, you know, some good people looking at this stuff and, uh, you know, giving it an eye and giving them some advice about what seems to be working and, what's, and what doesn't come off so well. But, yeah, I definitely think the, uh, the tough guy poses was one for the, for the trash can. Uh, so, Rob, to, to start moving on, we have a lot to review today on our first episode. Uh, so we want to recap the first four tournaments of the year. You know, be, before we got a chance to record this first episode, there have been four PBA tournaments that have taken place. So we wanted to take a few minutes uh, in the next section here and review the action that has, a, that has happened up to this point. Uh, we hope in, in following weeks to get a little bit more in-depth to the tournaments that take place being that we have quite a few tournaments to review here we're probably just going to stick to the major points of, of reviewing those tournaments but in the future we hope to dig a little bit deeper into the action but uh rob to kick us off uh, a very special uh, tournament for for both you and i to talk about and, and we'll tell people why in a minute but uh the first tournament that we'll talk about was bill o'neill's emotional win in the PBA Hall of Fame Classic, which ironically locks up a spot in the PBA Hall of Fame for Bill. So, Rob, talk a little bit about why this is a special event to talk about for both you and I. Look, like, Bill, it's no, it's no like, um, secret that Bill's a, a good friend of mine and yours, and uh, Bill's mom passed away a few, it was a few months prior to this tournament, I've never seen Bill that emotional after a win and to see in, in, in how he did it, it's just, I mean, everything was falling his way. I mean, the messengers he was throwing at those 10 pins and, you know, just how his opponents were just giving him like a gifts pretty much. I mean, uh, a Buttruff gave him gifts, uh, missing, missing spares in, in, in the title match. Um, and just to see Bill 
get back in the winner's circle after so many years, uh, and especially after his mom, who was such an influence in his bowling life and career, and, uh, you know, just was absolutely amazing to watch. And I really, if, if, if I, honestly, Mike, if I would have known what I have known now, I, I would have paid for the first class ticket to Lubbock to watch. Uh, you yeah, know, I tried. Was- I, I I honestly tried to get out there uh, from from Jersey where I'm at, and yeah, it's uh, it was tough. That it just wasn't going to work out. Um, yeah, people out there should know you and I are both good friends with Bill. Uh, we were both in his wedding together. Uh, you know, our history with him will 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 come out as the show goes on. I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, I feel the same way you do. I think that it was a great emotional win for him. Uh, As I was watching the show, I was an emotional mess because I just got the feeling and the vibe that it was meant to be. And, obviously, yeah, with his mom passing away recently and this really being the first uh, TV show that he made in in America uh, on the PBA tour since his mom passed, uh, he actually made made a show – I think like a couple weekends after his mom passed away, he had a trip and he, and he left and he made the show on that trip. It wasn't a broadcast show. It was broadcast on flow bowling. Uh, but yeah, this was the first PBA show that he made since that, that tragedy for him. And uh, yeah, I, I just had this vibe that it was, it was meant to be as the show was going on. I'm sitting there thinking it's meant to be. My wife is saying, Oh, this is just meant to be Bill's brother actually texted me at one point was like, Oh, bro, do you see what's going on? And I said, yeah, I, I do. I just get this feeling that it's really meant to be. And uh, I, I knew the same thing had to be going through Bill's head as he was out there bowling. And, and kudos to him to, to be able to, uh, to get that out of mind, right, and, and go out there. And he did make a few errant shots here and there, especially in the start of the last game. But, uh, yeah, a, a lot of credit to him to be able to go out there and, and really uh, – get through that, get through, get over that emotional hump to be able to get up there and make the shots and, and lock it up. So Rob, our boys going to the hall of fame. Whew. I mean, I'd never would have imagined bowling like in, in, in high school and college that he was going to, uh, going to go to the hall of fame. But I mean, it's amazing. I'm, I'm so happy for him. I really am. And he's, he's such a good, good person. And, you know, not all, all the success he's had in the bowling world, he's still very humble and he'll also be the first person to tell you if you're not humble. And he, he's so, he's so upfront too about uh, just anything. You could ask him opinions about anything and he'll tell you like, he'll just truth. He's a very truthful person too. So, you know, I'm, I'm super happy for him and, and his dad, I mean, his dad is such an amazing man and such a great coach and probably one of the most positive people I've ever met. And I know him going to the Hall of Fame is probably his dad feels like he's going to the Hall of Fame himself, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, I told Bill, you know, whatever venue has his Hall of Fame induction, we're never going to be welcome back there again. So that's the kind of a, that's the kind of event I'm looking forward to in a few years. But uh, I, I was going to I was going to troll Bill. I was going to use this podcast as an opportunity to troll Bill because he actually blocked me on Twitter recently. But, uh, you know, props to him because he won this event. You know, I had no choice but to talk about him and give him his props on here. So props to Bill for that first win, kicking off the PBA on Fox and uh, locking up a spot in the Hall of Fame. Definitely. Congrats, Bill, man. We're all happy for you. Hopefully we get some more titles. And this year maybe we can go to the ESPYs again. 
<laughs> maybe I'll get to go this time. But moving on, so Jacob Buttress, uh had a really tough match against Bill. Right, he he. As you mentioned, Rob, he missed a couple spares, missed a couple makeable spares that would have been the difference in the match. He then leads the Oklahoma Open the the next week and runs over the field, goes into the show as the number one seed the next week, and again, Rob has some more spare shooting issues. However, he was willing, he was able to recover. And he struck a ton in that championship match. And after having the letdown the previous week to Bill, Buttriff comes back and solidifies himself and wins the second title. What are your thoughts? Jacob Buttriff is, to me, has been one of the most inspiring, like, uh, storylines of the PBA this year. Uh, the kid has won 20 regional titles. He just won his 20th the week before. He's leading pretty much every national event, it feels like, since two months ago and the kid has the most awkward style you could ever imagine his he uses a conventional grip so pretty much if he was just amazing pick, yeah pick up a house ball and, and throw it down the lane that's pretty much a that's a conventional grip so anybody out there who's listening and conventional that's amazing but his wrist he's got a double jointed wrist mike so he's able to like do some crazy kind of things with the bowling ball that not a lot of people can do and, uh, you know, at first when I saw him bowl a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, here he is, t- stereotypical lefty, you know, uh, can't move off of five, you know, he's just kind of going to strike all day and can't make moves and can't adjust and, and, and just all he does is strike or, and I mean, no, like the kid has shown versatility, you know, and I mean, we'll see what happens. And I know you have an opinion about him, you know, long-term, you know, while the urethane is hot right now, he's killing it. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on Jacob's long-term like success? I mean, what if urethane gets suddenly out of play? You think he'll, he'll be able to continue the dominance? Yeah, I don't know. I question that. You know, I question that. I don't, uh, if you follow pro bowling over the long term, you see that sometimes things go in ebbs and flows where certain, certain styles or certain ball reaction or a way to throw it will, will uh, be will work very well for a certain period of time. And then you'll kind of see those guys kind of fall off and somebody else will emerge and have it for a little while. And I, I really do feel that, that that goes on. And, yeah, he's definitely that guy right now. There's no question about that. I just kind of look at it as how long is he going to be able to use the urethane, keep that look going that he has to, to have the success that he's been having. Um, obviously – he did use resin on the show a bit, and he did use resin during the, the week a bit in that tournament, which I was somewhat impressed by. But I have to see a little bit more of that and a little bit more of the versatility before I'm going to put him at a, you know, uh, Belmo or, or EJ Tackett, you know, put, put player of the year every year type level, right? I don't – that that's what I question is the, is the longevity going to be there. But, uh, yeah, listen – Shout to him. He, he's he been on fire, like you said, Rob. And, uh, you know, I, every week I'm, I'm looking to see, is he going to be up there again? So, you know, he's becoming somebody you got to watch on a weekly basis who's becoming a threat every week. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on uh, Cubegate, I guess is what we could call it. We, there were some complaints about Jacob's, Jacob Buttress' um, Cube being a bit of a distraction on the show. What do, what do you think about that? Wow. All, all I could think about was Belmo. 
you know, with the bottle. I mean, how could you not as a, as a fan of bowling? And if anybody's not familiar with the Belmo, the bottle gate, Belmo was drinking bottled water, plastic bottled water, and he was, you know, crunching it. And, and I, I personally felt like Belmo was not doing it on purpose, you know, and just kind of maybe when you're on TV, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, uh, you know, thoughts going in your head. So you do a lot of things with your hands that you don't realize you're doing. So I think that's kind of what happened with Belmo as for, as for a butch off with the cube. Uh, I mean, you didn't hear any more complaints after, uh, you know, the complaint was against him. So maybe he was aware of what he was doing and he was walking off the set to area and talking to his ball reps, pretty much that whole final match. So I feel like once Butcher realized maybe he was distracting a, um, a, a Jesper Svensson, then he kind of set, set off the, um, he stepped off the set to area and kind of let it play. But, you know, they, they got to be careful because it's so quiet in there before they throw shots. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's a little bit goofy. Keep, keep, keep your toys in your bowling bag while you're, while you're bowling on the show, I guess, is all I'll say about that. Uh, also in that tournament, Rob, in that same uh, tournament, the Oklahoma Open, in the match play portion of that tournament, we had the 299-294 Barrett and, and uh, Buttruff match. Crazy. I mean, insane yeah. match play story, yes? Yeah, oh, four? Yeah, for, he, he, he went four, like, on the last shot, to, and he, I, I have no words. I'm really lost for words for that match, uh, just because of all, you know, just of, of how hard that is to do in the PBA, you know, for each of them to throw 11 strikes each, and then for them to, 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 to lose with a 294 is, is pretty impressive. So, I, you know, I think Barrett will go uh, years from now, and he'll remember that match over the whole tournament. Yeah, I, I saw that live. I, I watched more uh, bowling than 99.9% of the population, sadly. And uh, I saw that match live. And honestly, I kind of think you just assume they were both going to punch out for 300. Because these guys are so good that once they get locked, you just figure, yeah, well, it's either going to be, you know, they're just going to strike. That's just what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, then to see, to see that errant shot, you know, at, at that time, yeah, such a crazy match. Definitely one of the craziest match play uh, scenarios that I've seen over the last recent history of watching the PBA Tour. But, uh, yeah, again, great tournament for Jacob Buttruff. Congrats to him. He wins the second title of the year. Uh, the third tournament, Rob, was a, a tape tournament. We had the Holman-Roth doubles. Uh, Matt Ogle and Sean Rash take down the title. Emotional victory again. Uh, defeating Brad Miller and Kyle Sherman, who were the top seed on that show. Uh, I thought Matt Ogle did an excellent job. Uh, if we're going to talk about anything with this show, I think you have to talk about Matt Ogle. Absolutely. And I watched a uh, flow bowling where they uh, filmed Matt Ogle when they, when he threw that last shot for them to get on the show. And I, I put myself in that position. I've never been on a telecast. Uh, I, I've come close in, in college but I've never been to that, to that show. And I was super happy for him because I would have been the same emotional wreck finding out I went to the show uh, because that's a dream as, as a kid. I mean, I grew up bowling and I've always wanted to be a professional bowler. My dream was to bowl on, on a televised pair where every, all your friends and families could finally wit, you know, see your success. And I was with him when I saw that video. I, I, I was with him. I really was happy for him. Uh, and I'm really, uh, you know, and then he got there to the show, right? 
and he's he didn't act like a lot of people or a lot of pros when they first get on the show. They're kind of happy to be there. He he went out there. He he dominated. The kid struck. I mean, felt like forever. And yeah, I think at one point at one point he had like twelve out of fifteen. Yeah, what's for a first show like Mike? Like that's that 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 shows that the kid you know was able to deal with his nerves. He, he, he relaxed really quick, you know, and he was able to help. I mean, having Sean Rash as your doubles partner, because they were probably talking. I know Sean Rash as a, a bowler is a very good team bowler, you know, and uh, we bowled against him in college a lot. And he's a very, very good team bowler. He could, likes to communicate. I mean, he went to Wichita. Wichita is known for its communication. So off the lanes and I, it helped having Rash probably guide him along, talking to him, giving him his reads. Like, I mean, and you could tell it, it, it helped them. So, I, I mean, it just – the them paired up together as a team just worked, and it worked on that day. And, they, I mean, they beat the best doubles team since they started, Belmo and Bill. I mean, that's two of the top probably five best bowlers in the world, and they kind of went through them like they were nothing. So, you know, it was just a, a great performance by Ogle. Yeah, I'm not hating on Belmo and Bill, but they only shot 160, Rob. So, uh, But, yeah, listen – Matt Ogle, excellent job. You know, just like you said, the guy, you knew that it meant a lot to him to get on the show and then to be able to get on the show and compose yourself in that manner in your first show and bowl so well, especially when you have the pressure of performing for somebody else out there and you're only throwing half the shots that you would normally throw on a show. So, so yeah, there was just a lot going on there mentally for him. And I was really impressed with how he was able to, to get through that and, and find success through, through the mental struggle that he had to go through to get to that point. So uh, Matt Ogle wins his first title. Uh, Sean Rash, obviously numerous titles, like you said. And uh, that was the third tournament of the year, the Holman Roth doubles. Uh, Moving on to last week's event, Rob, the Lubbock open. Uh, What a great show. I mean, amazing show, amazing show. Sean Rash piggybacks off of his good bowling in the Holman Roth and leads the Lubbock Open. Dick Allen shoots 279 the game before the final to get to Sean Rash. And man, what a finish, Rob. What a finish with Sean Rash missing the 10 ping and Dick Allen getting up and and throwing a somewhat suspect double to Mm. best Sean Rash. What, What do you think? Well, Look, we've all been in that position where we needed to make a spare to win a match and we've missed it. I've been in that position before and I've missed it. So I feel for Sean Rash. I do. Uh, but if I'm going to be honest, I mean, he choked. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it. I mean, if you are going to sit, if anybody's going to sit there and say he didn't choke, well, what, what is choking? Choking is getting nervous and getting up and throwing a bad shot and grabbing it. And that's what Sean Rash did. But here's my yeah, unpopular. Was no, no question. No question. That's fair. It's fair right. to say that. You know, it, uh, he missed the 10 pin. I mean, come on. The, the last time I remember seeing something like that was the U.S. Open where Mika missed the 10 pin uh, to, to lose the U.S. Open to Norm Duke. You just never see it. You don't expect it from those guys. You know, it, it, it's so out of the ordinary for something like that to happen. In, in, in a situation that isn't important, let alone in a situation that is so important. Uh, what did you think about Dick Allen's performance once that happened, Rob? I mean, you know, it, it, yeah. is, is, that a, is, the, is there any choking going on there? 
here's my unpopular opinion, and I, I think I, I'll probably be in the in the minority. I, I think I think Dick Yao. I think he choked worse than Rash did. Uh, that first shot he threw in the tenth, he rolled. He tripped the two eight ten, and the two went forward. Um, he missed by three to four boards right. Right, so he gets up, he misses three to four boards right. He airs it out. Thankfully, it was the short lane, so he was able to, you know, at least get to the one, the one three. But he rolled two eight ten. Now Rash went from that moment going, well, I don't think he, Dick Yon's going to strike out. I don't think he's going to double because he struggled on that lane, you know, that match. So I don't think Rash thought. And then when Rash is like was smiling a little bit, kind of like I can't believe I just did that smile. Richie gets up, does that, and now his, you know like smile went to like, Oh crap. Like I'm in trouble. So then Dick Young gets up, throws a great second shot. I'm not taking away credit from that second shot on, on a lane that he was lost. He threw a good shot. He struck. Then he gets up in the fill and he needs eight to win. And he gets up and he misses three to four left. I, if you, I would love to put a side-by-side comparison of the two shots. He threw the first one in the tenth and the fill ball and see exactly the board radius of how much he missed the first to compare to the third. I guarantee you, Mike, it was probably like seven to eight boards. Yeah, I, I don't. I agree. I don't think that, uh, that he performed very well under the pressure either. Uh, I thought that first shot in the tenth was was really out the window, is the way I would describe it. Off his hand, I thought, oh well, that's that. And uh, yeah, so, somehow by some miracle, was able to uh, knock ten down. But uh, man, what a finish! What a great event! And then you 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 throw in you throw in Kyle Troop on top of that finish and on top of the performance by Rash and Allen. And yeah, you had a really excellent show last week. I thought. I, I, at the time when Kyle was bowling, I, I thought that was his show. After he he grinded those first two matches, boy. I mean, he he showed a lot of heart in that ten frame. He made a ball switch on the left lane that he didn't strike. I think he threw one strike in two matches. He gets up in the 10th on the left lane, which was look impossible, makes a ball switch, and then throws three amazing shots to, to, to lock out Tang. I mean, you talk about someone who's gaining experience and getting, like, getting it. Uh, um, you know, I'm a big fan, and, and it showed, he showed a lot of moxie dude, switching in the 10th. Uh, you know, and then striking out to win. Yeah, I think that that uh, that that tournament was really the best one so far, and uh, it was a great, great, uh, great show. Awesome show, one of the best shows that I've seen in recent memory for sure. Uh, Rob, pick pick one player from the past or present uh, you would call their name to strike, and and pick one player that you wouldn't. You need you need a strike for something significant. Let's say you need a strike for a million bucks. Who, who, whose name you calling to strike and whose name do you not want to see picked out of the hat to strike? If I'm, if I need one strike, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm picking Tom Smallwood. Tom, Tom Smallwood. Small. Yes. Tom Smallwood. Interesting Tom Smallwood is, yeah. Tom Smallwood is one of the best clutch bowlers that I've ever been around and seen. And, and, and you can go back to his shows uh, anytime Tom Smallwood needs a strike, I've witnessed it. He's 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 got pretty much ice in his veins. Uh, somebody who I wouldn't pick to throw a strike, probably Chris Barnes. Mm, interesting, interesting. Yeah, if uh, if I had to pick somebody to strike, uh, it's Belmo. <laughs> I mean, there's no question. You know, you have the best chance of striking if he hits the pocket, and uh, 
yeah, he has the most area and he probably has the highest level of focus out there that I see from people bowling on the show. And if I didn't want to see somebody's name come out of the hat, uh, you, you picked the person that I probably would have picked, but, uh, I'll say DJ Archer. I just, I, I don't have, I really don't have a lot of faith in, in my man's game. Uh, I know he finds a way to get it done. I understand, you know, he has a lot of accomplishments to his name, but, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have a lot of confidence if he was going up there to throw that shot. So, Mike, uh, I, that, go ahead. Sorry uh, about DJ Archer. I witnessed DJ Archer strike every time against us when we bowled him in college at the IBC national championship, when he bowled for Texas A&M, the kid did not miss in 10 frame. So uh, me personally, I wouldn't pick t- uh, Archer just in that fact where I, the kid pretty much buried us um, in, 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 in a best of seven. So I just got to throw that out there. The, the kid was money in a 10 foot. I, I, I get what you're saying. Shout, shout to DJ Archer. I mean, really, I'm not, I'm not trying to hate. I'm just saying I, I, I just wouldn't have a lot of confidence. There'd be a lot of other guys who, if they were going up to a shot, I'd say, okay, all right, they, they got this. But I don't, I don't know. I just wouldn't have a high level of confidence there. Uh, so, Rob, that kind of wraps up our, our review of the PBA season thus far. Uh, one other question we wanted to put out there, we wanted to throw out there for the listeners is uh, – who, who have we been surprised to not see out there? And, and if there's anybody, who have we been surprised to see out on tour thus far? Uh, me personally, I would love to see Dan McClelland out there. Uh, he's one of the most talented bowlers uh, that is not on tour. Uh, and if you're t- talking about like TV show wise, uh, I kind of a little bit surprised. That- kind of feel like I haven't seen um, a lot of Andrew Anderson. I mean, he's reigning PBA player of the year. So I kind of feel like I haven't been able to, uh, you know, I like to see him make a couple shows here coming soon. You know, I, I like Andrew Anderson. I like his game. He's young and he's hungry. And I, I want to see more of Andrew. I think he's a future. So you kind of, you, you, I guess what you're saying is you kind of expected more from him thus far in the season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's reigning player of the year. Uh, I would, yeah, I sure. mean, I would, you know, want to see him at least on one show, but, you know, maybe, you know, he puts, I mean, success, you start, when you get a lot of success and you start maybe putting a little bit, a lot of pressure on yourself uh, that, you know, you feel like that you have to make every show and then you start squeezing it when before you were, you know, uh, uh, practically a nobody, I mean, on the professional national tour and, you know, there's not really a whole lot of pressure. So I feel like success, sometimes you could be your own worst enemy when you start succeeding. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, Pete Weber? And his absence thus far, Rob, do, do, do you have an opinion on that? I do. I have a very strong opinion. I love to see Pete, Pete Weber on my TV is the best out there. He's the best show out there. You know, I know he's struggling with some injuries and, you know, I, I wish him more the success as Pete Weber. But, yeah, I'm very surprised I haven't seen Pete at least compete or make a top, you know, 10 or a top. Uh, five and uh, a telecast because look live tv with p weber is tv that you want to watch and he's great for the professionals great for the pba uh, and the guy in my opinion he's the greatest of all time you know and i'll, I'll argue with people they say earl anthony walter ray uh, there's nobody who's won longer than him he's won in the 70s 80s 90s he's won in every century since a century every decade since the 70s i'm a big fan of pete weber but you know what i mean I, I want to see Pete get back there, and I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we could see him on live TV soon. But guess what? Don't ever count him out. U.S. Open comes around. You know, Pete loves those majors. I don't know, Rob. I, I, I have to say, I, 
from what based on what I've seen in person and what I've watched on, on flow bowling over the last, I'd say year or so, I, I don't know. I think that the prospect of, of Weber reaching that level again is probably done. Uh, I, I think that he is way closer to the end than he is to being competitive. Uh, you know, obviously I, I feel the same way you do. I, I look at the guy as clearly one of the goats of the game. And uh, I think you always want to see him in the mix and it, and it makes things more interesting, but I don't know the the game has changed over the last few years for sure. And I, I'm just not sure that he has the physical capability to, to go out there and, uh, and, and compete at that level. Uh, one other guy, Rob, that I was surprised to see out on tour thus far was Chris Sloan. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but the, he, he actually beat Bill in a, uh, a tournament over in Europe uh, a few months back. And uh, I was impressed by his performance against Bill, if I remember correctly. I think he had to get up and double in the 10th to beat Bill at that tournament, and he did, and he threw two really good shots. And I turned on Flow Bowling for the first tournament of the year, and I saw that he was out there. You know, So I was just surprised to see him out there. It's somebody that I'm keeping, keeping an eye on to see how they do but I wish him luck as well. Uh, Moving on, Rob, to to our next set of topics here. Uh, We wanted to review a little bit some of the staff switches and and contract signings that have taken place since the beginning of the tour season. So just to review a little bit, we have A.J. Johnson switching to Ebonite, uh, Sean Maldonado, or I'm sorry, AJ Johnson switching from Storm to Ebonite. Maldonado switching from Storm to Ebonite. Cam Doyle switching from Ebonite to Storm. And Motive with a couple big signings. One of them, uh, probably the biggest name, being Richie Teese. Uh, also, Storm makes some changes to its rep lineup that I read about. And so does uh, EBI, with Rob Gottschall not being the main rep out on tour each week. So uh, any thoughts on any of those changes, Rob? Yeah, the one that sticks out to me the most is A.J. Johnson, just because A.J. Johnson is probably the most notable on the list of people that have been having the most success on tour. Uh, I, I, now, here's the question that I pose is, does a switch, is that because of, well, they weren't happy with their last ball-like reps, they weren't happy with their last ball performance, or was it money? Was it, uh, you know, a, a combination of both? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sure everybody has their reasons. I'm sure every, every time these guys make a switch, there's some sort of reason behind it. Uh, Rob, should, should we, as, as fans, get more information about the, this contract information? Like, for instance, you're bringing this up and saying, well, what's the reason that they switched? You know, should, should the bowling media or flow bowling or however you want to look at it, should they be going to these guys and, and, and asking them these questions and getting these explanations? Or should we hear the terms of the contracts so we know, well, you know, for instance, A.J. Johnson, he switched but, and he got more money, and that's probably why he left. Should we be getting a little bit more of the coverage of that? What, what, you know, do, do you yeah. have an opinion? I do have an opinion, Mike. I think that the uh, players, I definitely think it's good for the sport if we know how much – money they're getting especially when someone like a Belmonte signs a four-year deal with Storm which I know was on our list of topics later but I think that's you know in this kind of same kind of topic we're talking about uh just because if AJ Johnson let's just say switched to EBI and EBI gave him a 
a five year and they gave him, I don't know, a $200,000 contract. You got a lot of college bowlers, high school bowlers. They go back and they look and they say, wow, AJ Johnson, he's not even a top five or top 10 on the points. And he just signed 200,000. And then Belmo, if he's got a big number behind him with the storm deal, it's a lot of influence. And you, you worked with a lot of high school. I mean, you, you're very familiar with the high school. Now, what, how, how does that work with your high school kids if they find out that Belmo signed a four-year, let's just say, and we don't know the terms of the agreement, but let's just say he signed a four-year, you know, $750,000 deal. Like, well, how, would your, how would your high school kids uh, react? Yeah, well, I think any, it's going to make anybody pay attention, right? It, it's going to create a positive vibe no matter who it is. Uh, it's definitely going to make it more clear that, hey, there is some money to be made in this game if you, if you reach the highest levels. Uh, personally, I feel like this information should be out there. I do. I, I kind of feel like the companies themselves should be promoting it. I definitely think that the, the bowling media should be asking about it or covering it more. Um, I do think that the fans would enjoy and, and, and benefit from hearing these various uh, reasons and, and various deals. You know, it's almost another way to rank the players to me. Um, in the NFL, if, if one quarterback signs a, a, a huge contract, you know, the next quarterback who comes up who considers themselves better than that quarterback, they're going to demand more money than that quarterback signed for. Uh, and, and I almost look at the bowling world as, as maybe it's not the same, but it, if you reported it, it might be. You know, it, it would definitely be more information than we have now. Um, so I would like to see them go in that direction. In terms of the changes, uh, the, the one that stuck out to me was Cam Doyle. Uh, the reason is because, if I'm correct, he was with Storm previously, yes? Yeah, he was Storm back when he was a, a, um, a, young, a young guy. I mean, yeah, he was with Storm for a while. Okay, and then he switched to EBI a few years back. And now he's back with Storm again. And, you know, quite frankly, he hasn't really bowled all that well uh, since he's quote-unquote gone pro. Uh, I know he won the Rookie of the Year award, but it, it, as was discussed in many outlets, it was somewhat by default because there wasn't really any strong contenders this year for Rookie of the Year. So I, I don't know. I just found that one to be interesting. I kind of just uh, rolled my eyes a little bit at that one in terms of, well, you know, is this – is this really going to make a difference now or, or, or is this just some sort of move to say, well, the reason I haven't been bowling well is because of these particular brand of balls. So uh, that remains to be seen, but uh, that was definitely the one that stuck out to me. Um, I also think that it could be interesting to see what happens with the reps and what kind of changes that that brings on and, and whether it has guys bowling better or bowling a little bit worse, or perhaps not being able to work with the people that they're accustomed to working with. So you know, I definitely plan on keeping an eye on that throughout the season as well. Um, Rob, d does switching the ball company really make a difference performance-wise for the bowler? Yes and no. Uh, I think depending on – look, like when you move over companies, if you're dealing with someone like A.J. Johnson who's been dealing with Storm for a really long time and then you switch to EBI – the, the reps are going to have to learn your game. They're going to have to learn what pat, what bowling ball layouts you like on certain patterns. Are you better with asymmetrical bowling balls? Are you better with symmetrical bowling balls? When do you like to switch? So the ball reps have a learning curve with the players and the players have a learning curve with the equipment. So, you know, it, you, you've been using storm and you're used to storm and storms balls are known for going a little bit longer than a lot of the other competitors. 
And then all of a sudden you switch and then you have to, you know, make that adjustment. So it's a big adjustment. I mean, when you sign on a company and you haven't been using them, you don't know what you're getting into as a bowler. Um, and, you know, I guess the other answer would be it is an advantage when you, let's just say the World Series of Bowling was at the South Point, uh, you know, bowling center, not the, not the new stadium, but the regular center. That bowling center was known for their front part of the lanes hooking a lot. So, you know, if you were with Storm and you had Storm stuff, the Storm stuff rolled really great there. Uh, Belmonte would, would, would kill the, that bowling center. I mean, he bowls great everywhere he goes, but specifically in that center, and then a lot of the EBI guys where their balls were, were, were burning up, you know, pretty quick because they're, they're the front part of the lane's hooked. Uh, so I think there is an advantage and there is, you know, not an advantage in certain aspects of it, but I think overall – you know, the, if you're a great bowler and you're a top five or top ten best bowl in the world, the really the bowling balls you throw really shouldn't matter. Yeah, I, I kind of feel it's insignificant to a certain degree at that level. You know, those guys are so good that over the course of time, you see it going in waves where one company might dominate for a little while and then another company comes on and dominates. And, for instance, you know, in, in the 90s when we were bowling JBTs, it wasn't uncommon to walk into a tournament and see – every rack full of teal rhinos or every rack full of sapphire zones. And, uh, you know, those were Brunswick balls back in the day. So, you know, it definitely goes in ebbs and flows. And uh, I don't really think that it's the difference maker for these guys. I I just think it might be a mental thing uh, in terms of confidence. You know, they they like throwing a particular brand of ball or they have a, a range of balls that are their favorite but, uh, yeah, I definitely think with the quality of talent that these guys have, you can pretty much put anything in their hand, and uh, they will make it work. So, Rob, you, you brought it up before. Uh, we, we have to talk about it, right? I, I, at, the, at the risk of singling one person out in terms of talking about these deals and these contracts, you know, Belmo signs a new four-year deal with Storm. Uh, the, the, the terms aren't reported, right? We discuss whether this should be the case or not. Uh, a hypothetical discussion though, Rob, what would another company have to give him in order for him to leave storm? It's got to give him money and security. Uh, that's what I believe. And I, I might be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like as a bowler, you're always looking to sign the long contract because you never know when you're going to not be good anymore. I'm not saying Belmo is not going to be good anymore, but it's like that in any sport, right? Like you, you know, a lot of the players, they want to sign long-term deals. Belmo signs a four-year deal. You think Belmo is going to pass up, you know, a six-year deal with EBI if EBI offered him double the money and two years longer? I, I think Belmo would go would move. I just that's yeah, my but, opinion. If if that's the case, it, it would have been done already. I really believe that. I, I think that if it was just as easy as here, here's more money and more years. I think another company would have been more than willing to to make that happen and do that. I mean, if you want to talk about EBI, name me five bowlers that put together are more valuable than him alone. Uh, no, I couldn't because he's the he's yeah. The I mean, he, he 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 is. He's the he's the best bowler and he's the best marketer. So I, I don't know that that's why I, I kind of asked the question of, of what would it take to get him away from them? Because I almost assume that if it was just money and length of contract, people would bend over backwards to give him almost whatever he wants to a certain extent, I guess uh, I, you know, what I had in mind was more 
perks, you know, doing something different, you know, offering him something that another uh, bowling ball, that, that Storm couldn't offer him or isn't willing to offer him, be it a, a piece of ownership in the company or, you know, greater greater incentives for, for performance or, say, you know, whatever it may be. But, yeah, definitely uh, an interesting question, you know, whether he will remain with Storm throughout his entire career or if at some point we will see him switch companies. Uh, you've seen it with other good bowlers, though, Rob. You know, you have. At one time, Chris Barnes signed a million-dollar, quote-unquote, million-dollar deal with Columbia, no? Yeah, that was and that was promoted, too. Uh, that was, like, what the first million-dollar professional contract. Yeah. And he obviously global 900 gave him a deal. He couldn't refuse. And maybe you're right. They global, I think gave him some, some probably ownership perks or maybe ball design perks. I think Barnes wanted to be more involved with the, the design of the bowling balls and the, the performance. And I don't think Colombian, I don't think Ebonite wanted to give him that. Uh, so Barnes wanted to be Barnes was a very he's one of the probably best technical bowlers in the world and he wanted to be involved in the ball testing and the ball design. Yeah, and I, it, it's just interesting to me. I mean, you know, when you hear a guy signs a million dollar ball deal, you think, oh well, he'll be there for his whole career, and uh, yeah, he ends up moving on to another company anyway. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with Belmo and where things go in terms of his contract. But uh, you know, big congratulations to him signing the four year deal. And uh, I'm sure that makes things a little bit easier on him in terms of being able to relax and go out there and just concentrate on the bowling end of it. So uh, good luck to him. And, and again, congratulations. So, uh, Rob, moving on, a couple topics just to wrap up here real quickly. Uh, we had the Hall of Fame inductions. Uh, Mika and, and P.A. go into the Hall of Fame. Any, anything to say on, on either of those guys? Yo, P.A. Mop. P.A. is Yo, – Mop. Yo, Mop. P.A. is – I heard mop. the guy – the main thing that I know that I like sticks in my mind about him is that, and I bowled some events that he bowled in over the years, and I've been in the bowling alley at events that he's bowled at. And Rob, the guy goes to the bathroom in his socks and only his socks. <laughs> I mean, I, I just can't. You can be a Hall of Famer, but I just can't get that out of my head. Do you remember the, about how we were talking at the beginning of the show about characters? Oh, uh, please. Yeah. One of the best, yeah. right? One, one of the best uh, bowling characters, just in oh, terms of all-around personality and, and, and his personality on the lanes. I, I, I also have a vivid image in my head of him. I don't even recall what tournament it was, but it was against Mika, I think. It was after he beat uh, Mika in a tournament, and he stood up on the chairs and started to rant to the back of the crowd. And, yeah, he just had that kind of personality, very outgoing guy and very interesting personality. Uh, great bowler, though. You know, obviously very deserving of the of the Hall of Fame. So, congratulations to him. A short, another short PA story for for on from my side is uh, uh, Carolier uh, New Year's Day Marathon many many years ago when PA was still an amateur bowler. I, I had the opportunity to bowl on his pair uh, in that tournament. Bill was actually on on the pair with us as well. And uh, Rob, I watched this guy mow them over for nine games and nine frames. And he's leading the 10-game marathon event. He gets up in the 10th frame of the 10th game, and all he needs is a mark to wrap up the tournament. And he leaves a seven pin. And he must have – I mean, it's basically all he left all day was just seven pins, and he made every single one up to that point. And he goes up and he misses the seven pin. 
Uh, I still believe, I think he still went on to to win the tournament because the person who had the double didn't double to beat him, but he did. He missed the uh, seven pin. I'll, I'll never forget that. It was just shocking to me. Uh, Mika, Major Mika, you know, obviously, again, one of the best to do it. The vivid memory that sticks in my mind from him is what I brought up earlier about him missing the 10 pin at the U.S. Open, which obviously isn't a career highlight for him, but definitely one of the things that I remember. But, uh, yeah, just such a, a – a strong fundamental game, you know, at a time when bowling was evolving and, and guys were really trying to throw it in, in more athletic ways. Uh, he was one guy who really just stuck to a solid, simple fundamental game. And I, I always appreciated that about his game. Whenever the U S open came around, you knew that he was going to be one of the guys in the mix because oh, the guy okay. was just going to stay fundamentally sound and make good shots and, and hang in there. And that's just what he was going to do. Complete grinder, Mika. Uh, I got a quick funny story about Mika. I crossed with him in a regional in some, you know, like uh, farm town in Ohio. And uh, I, I literally bowled a great squad eight games, but I missed, I think, like five ten pins in eight games. And I ended up missing the cut by like eight pins or ten pins. But I, I, we were close at the time uh, I crossed with him and I was putting my shoes on. And I, you could tell I wasn't really happy. He looks at me, he says, you good bowler, you missed too many 10 pins. And that was the only thing he said to me in eight games. Uh, so, you know, I, I watched him strike for a year in that regional. And, yeah, grind, a complete grind. Whenever they were tough, Mika was going to be there. And that yeah. was a sign that Mika was. Yeah, you knew Yeah, you knew he was always going to be in it. So, again, congratulations to the, those guys on their Hall of Fame induction and uh, very deserving for both of them. Uh, Rob, Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. Who do you got? Uh, this pains me. This pains me to, to say because I'm a big uh, Jets fan, but I'm going with the Patriots. And just in due to fact, Belichick and Brady, I mean, how could you bet against them at this, at this point in their careers? Yeah, uh, I'm going, I'll be in Vegas. I'm going to put some nice prop bets. I'm going to bowl the tat. We'll see how that goes. But, you know, the benefits of bowling the Tat Super Bowl weekend is I get to put some crazy uh, prop bets. So I'm hoping the Gatorade is uh, fruit punch flavored because I got, I'm going to have some money on that. Okay. All right. Well, good luck on that. And, uh, Rob, the uh, CP3 charity event will air this weekend. We want to remind our listeners to, you know, just tune into that as you're uh, arriving at your Super Bowl parties or cooking your Super Bowl food that you might be enjoying during the big game. But uh, the, CB, the CP3 charity event airs this weekend. Uh, Rob, Michael Vick was rumored to be a celebrity. What, what, do, you think, what do you think about that? Oh, this, is, this, this, chaps, this chaps my ass, Mike. Uh, just the fact that, one, I'm a dog lover. And anytime I hear the words Michael Vick now, I, I, I literally cringe because of what he did and what he was a part of uh, with the dog fighting. And I think it would be a huge mistake if the PBA brought him on just because of how many people love dogs. Now, I know everybody, you know, there's a whole thing, well, he deserves a second chance and all that. But once, once you do something like that, you know, there's no coming back. It, it, to me, it's almost like being a pedophile, Mike. And that's a whole, probably another podcast that we could start. But, uh, you know, the PBA. You're going to have to do that one by yourself. I'm not, I'm not joining <laughs> you on that one. But, no, I, listen, I, I, I hear you. I, I totally understand your, your perspective there. And, uh, yeah, probably in the PBA's best look if, uh, if, 
there's a scheduling conflict and he's not able to make it or something like that. So that remains to be seen. We'll see what happens when that airs on Sunday. I just hope it's a good show. Uh, when I think about the CP3 event, I, really, I just think about what it must be like for some of these real celebrities to come to a PBA bowling event. I mean, the, these are people that are used to getting treated, you know, red carpet all the way, five star all the way. And I just hardly envision these PBA, even these celebrity PBA events being, you know, red carpet, five-star events taking place in bowling alleys or something of that nature. So I just always find it funny to to think about what it must be like for these guys to attend a, a PBA event or vice versa for the PBA guys to, to have these big-time celebrities and athletes around. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like it's a little bit forced, but – yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it's a good show. I'll definitely be tuning in as I am every week. Uh, for our listeners out there, we have a, a poll question for the week coming up, uh, kind of relating back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, and that is, has the PBA Tour on Fox been a better product thus far than what we've seen in the immediate past? We'd like to hear from you guys on that on Twitter and Facebook. You can check us out on there just by searching for uh, Sweep the Rack on either one of those social media outlets. Uh, Rob, it was fun to do this first episode with you, man. I, I look forward to getting down on a weekly basis as we go forward. Uh, good luck at the tat. You know, we'll, we'll be following you. We'll be checking in and making sure that, uh, or checking in on your progress and seeing how you're do, doing there and, uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, man. But, uh, that's a wrap episode one. Take it easy, homie. All right, man. Take care. Have a good one, guys. You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike. Nothing heats up a winter day like McDonald's six-piece chicken McNuggets. Crispy and golden, they're the perfect snack to spice up the winter for only $2. And now, there's a new choice for chicken. McDonald's $2 Jalapeno McChicken. It's the fiery limited-time item here to heat up the winter. Get each for only $2 today. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. <laughs> that moment when you realize the last 30 seconds of the half always seem to take as long as the first 30 minutes. And you're hungry. It's time for McDelivery from McDonald's. Hosting the big game at your house? Ordering some crowd-pleasing favorites like McDonald's fries, buttermilk crispy tenders, and chicken McNuggets with McDelivery on the Uber Eats app. Prices and participation may vary. Delivery prices may be higher than at restaurants. Booking fee applies. See the Uber Eats app for details.